Hello and welcome to Next Gen Minds, the informal but informative weekly Sunday podcast made for students by students. I'm your host, Maddie Clark, and together we'll start a much needed conversation with students, experts and other special guests about mental health. We'll bust some myths, find out what are the best ways to manage our well-being and if all things fail, we'll simply manifest our way to sanity. Next Gen Minds is part of an important initiative to draw attention to the mental health crisis unfolding amongst the future generation and to eradicate the stigma and taboo of talking about mental health. If you feel that any areas or topics discussed affect you or you're simply feeling lost or overwhelmed, head to the Next Gen University's website for resources on how to cope, including the 30-day Mental Reset Challenge. This challenge includes short three-minute videos to help equip you with a toolkit of useful coping mechanisms and ways to strengthen your well-being. So, without further ado, let's start talking and make a change. Hello and welcome to this week's Next Gen podcast. Today I'm joined by Sarah Dosange, a psychotherapist and author of the book I Can't Stop Eating. After suffering with binge eating disorder and bulimia for nearly a decade, Sarah found freedom, studied to become a therapist and now specialises in helping others who have struggled with disordered eating and body image issues. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. You are more than welcome, Maddie. Thank you for inviting me. I, I, well, I was talking to you about this before, but I'm so excited to talk to you about first your journey with food and, and binge eating and, and, and bulimia, but also about your book that I absolutely adored. Um, I Page after page, I just found myself going, oh my gosh, how does she know how I'm thinking? Um, so I'm so excited to delve into all those things that you've talked about in your book and looking at your relic method um, especially, which I, I'm definitely will be using in the future in my own life. Um, but first, I thought we'd start off with your personal experience with eating and food. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell the listeners a bit more about your journey with food and binge eating and how you've ended up where you are today as a therapist. Sure. So I will try and be as concise as I can, because sometimes I struggle to tell my story chronologically, because it feels a little bit all over the place, even in my own mind. But um, my eating disorder was slightly unusual in that it didn't really start until my mid-twenties. And it started, my binge eating was triggered off at the time from the first time in my life that I ever lost any weight. So I'd never worried about my weight. I'd always been in a small body. And then when I was 25, I decided to lose some weight. I only wanted to lose a small amount, which I did, um, and then thought I'll carry on with my life. But For some reason, after losing that small amount of weight, I just could not stop eating. And I binged constantly after that for nine months. Um, And I gained a lot of weight. I don't know whether it's appropriate to use numbers or not in here, um, but I gained a lot of weight in a very short space of time, going up several clothes sizes and going through that horrible experience that I think a lot of people are really worried about now because of lockdown. There's that horrible experience when you haven't seen somebody for a while and you know that your body has changed, you're carrying more weight and you see that flash of like recognition or surprise on their face and it it just feels horrible. Um, so I remember that, you know, really, really clearly at the time. Um, and then after nine months, what started off as binge eating then tipped over into bulimia. So I started purging 
and that halted the weight gain so I sort of leveled out there um, bulimia is not an effective way of losing weight by any means um, but for me I remember at the time it started off as a way to feel more comfortable because I felt I feel like I didn't sleep for nine months I would get up in the middle of the night to binge it was so confusing when I look back now it was such a such a confusing time um, and anyway about sort of a year into this um, there was some I had some other symptoms and I ended up getting some blood tests done and I had a lot of hormonal imbalances which was a result of my pituitary gland not working properly because I had a tumor there so I had to go for surgery on the tumor and I to this day take a wide range of hormone replacement therapies and I would say that when they started leveling out my hormones the intensity of the desire to binge did diminish a bit but it didn't go away so therefore my story feels a little bit different I think to some people's and it's quite complicated because in my mind I'm like was it the dieting was it the hormones you know I've kind of landed at this conclusion that it was a, a combination of a load of things and so I kind of thought that once all my hormone stuff was sorted out everything would be fine again but that took, took about three or four years to resolve the hormonal stuff or to even get it into an okay place um but it was like the damage was done I was never the same with food again so the binging the bulimia continued for a long time and actually when I trained to be a therapist I was still struggling with bulimia I was not imagining that I was going to end up specializing in this I kind of in the back of my mind I did think maybe one day if I get my act together if I recover then perhaps one day I will work with this but so yeah those first few years when I was training for a therapist I was not I was still very much in the depths of my eating disorder so part of the requirements when you train to be a therapist you have personal therapy which did help but I think a lot of the personal psychoeducation stuff I did myself was what really helped with the binge eating because none of my therapists knew anything about binge eating so unfortunately I didn't feel like it helped a great deal with my eating disorder but it did help with other things and it helped um, I suppose helped me to become a lot more aware of myself and my own processes which probably did inadvertently help with my recovery if that makes sense mm. but I mean going to those therapies um, it just going to therapy in itself must have been a great start to actually kind of start the battle and the recognition that no I do want to make a change but then it does it doesn't really help if the people that you're going to get help from aren't specialists because binge eating is a beast in itself and I mean it feels just unstoppable at times so I think obviously someone who specializes it is, is much needed um, and it's such a shame that the ther therapies you went to didn't work but that's I guess also a benefit because here you are today specializing yourself um, but in terms of your, the, what really the root causes of your binge eating what started your journey um do you think it was that i know you mentioned your hormones um do you think it was mainly to do with your hormones or do you think it was that due to that initial restriction that initial diet um that kind of set you off on that un, maybe unhealthy relationship with food um because i know when i talk to a lot of my friends and me myself included um i know my binge eating journey started with or my, personally my anorexia so that was an extreme restriction um so it seems like the restriction is kind of the trigger for it the, not the root cause in terms of behavior but um 
the initial stimulus? It's so difficult because I, I really, it really was a small amount of weight that I lost. And in those nine months, I gained 10 times what I lost. So I've not met many people that have had a reaction that big to dieting. <laughs> For someone's like first diet as well. I hear about people who do things like lighter life and lose, you know, stones and stones of weight. And then they end up binging or the hunger comes back ravenous and they, they put the weight back on. But from everybody I've met, I've not met anybody like me who had that much of an extreme reaction. So I'm like, did it like, was there something about the hormonal aspect of that that just made the backlash worse? I don't know what would have happened if I'd never. But yeah, oh, that's it. Maybe one of the reasons why the backlash was so um, such a big backlash was because of the hormonal problems that were going on. So we know that. Um, dieting and restricting food has an impact on our hormones so if my hormones were already out of whack maybe the impact on my hormones was somehow greater I don't know but I also know you know having understood a lot now about binge eating and eating disorders there are other parts just of my personality and my thinking style which would lend me to be quite prone to developing an eating disorder like having very black and white all or nothing thinking and that's probably the thing that therapy helped me with above everything else was with the black and white thinking because when you are sitting there talking to someone examining your own process you start to see it you start to see how you're catastrophizing stuff that's not a catastrophe once your emotions have calmed down and on on that note of like in terms of some characteristic traits that actually make you more prone to binge eating what in your in your studies have you found are or even the people that come to you what have you found are the, the characteristics that make people most susceptible um, to falling into binge eating habits? Yeah. Number one, the one I just said, the all or nothing mindset. Binge eating is like the ultimate manifestation of all or nothing mentality. Another one actually that comes up a lot is that people, kind of people who tend to struggle with binge eating or overeating, tend to be the caretakers, the people who are looking after everybody else. So they're trying to make everybody else feel okay and sometimes perhaps their level of, of self-care is not not the same as what they offer to other people. Another thing that comes up again is a lot of people who struggle with binge eating struggle with boundaries. They struggle with saying no to people. Um, so I often say to people, if you want to know if this is you, because some people will just say, well, I like helping people. I like saying yes. I said, so you'll know if you've got a problem with boundaries if, when people start asking you for things, you feel resentment. Because if you can say no, there's nothing to feel resentful about. People can ask you whatever they like and you can say no. You only feel resentful because you think you can't say no. And that's probably a boundary issue. And, um, so, And is it lack of acknowledgement of those boundaries that you, you can't have? How do those feed into is that having a binge eating or disorder? Why? Why does that black and white thinking, why does that lack of boundaries feed into um i i think the boundaries thing is the capacity to say no for your own higher good and the all or nothing i think is you know if you have all or nothing thinking you can you're quite susceptible to catastrophizing things so even uncomfortable feelings in the moment can feel catastrophic and also when you're looking after everyone else's feelings, the idea of somebody feeling bad, you know, you take responsibility. 
for them feel they tend to take responsibility people who struggle with this stuff for things that are not their responsibility such as other people's feelings which is not to say that we're ever un unkind to people or we don't show people a level of care but it's not our job to manage somebody else's emotional experience we can support people but there's a line where it feels like this is your role this is your job you're doing it for everyone else um to the point where you're not doing it for yourself so psychologists as well they'll say that people who um struggle with overeating or binge eating have a low tolerance for discomfort and that annoys me because i don't agree with that i don't think they have it kind of makes it sound like somehow they're unable to manage feelings and everyone else can but i think it's because they're taking on everybody else's feelings as well so no we can't manage our own feelings and everyone else's on top of that something's got to give and so we end up turning to food to try and manage our emotions there and, and talking about emotions and binge eating um i just want to actually just lay the kind of lay the landscape for everyone who's listening first because some people might not even know actually what binge eating is um or even know that, that they might even have it and they don't because they don't know actually the symptoms or like maybe the, the kind of typical um behaviors that surround binge eating um so i know in your book you lay out four different kind of binge eating um disorders or like four different branches of binge eating so i was wondering if you could just tell the listeners what is binge eating and like the four different things that you go into um in your book sure so the four different things is the four different types of problematic overeating because i argue the case that everybody overeats and actually every time we eat we're supposed to overeat because we're supposed to eat enough to keep us going until the next time we eat. We're not supposed to just eat enough, just to make our hunger disappear and the second it's gone, we're supposed to stop eating. If you do that, and that's what the hunger fullness diet teaches you to do, you're gonna be hungry again in a couple of hours time and you're gonna be saying, why am I hungry now? It's not time for me to eat. So I talk about the four types of problematic overeating as impulsive, compulsive, um, emotional and binge eating. So, in terms of what a binge is, because I think it is important if this episode is going to be about binge eating to talk about what that is, that is to eat an amount of food that is definitely larger, this is the words the DSM-5 uses, definitely larger than what most people would consume in a similar circumstance. And it has to be accompanied with a sense of feeling out of control. So if you take a holiday, for example, or an all-inclusive buffet, Everybody's going to go and what happens, everybody goes and they eat a lot till they're very full normally, certainly on the first day at least. That wouldn't necessarily come under a binge, even though people might talk about it like that, because that's something that a lot of people would do. It's a little bit problematic, some of the wording, because a lot of the time we don't know what a lot of people are doing. So there's so much subjectivity around whether you call something binge eating or not. So how can how can someone distinguish between overeating for example let's say i go to my best friend's wedding and there's like a lot of cake there and i have like multiple slices or something like that because i really like the cake or um binge eating in kind of it's almost binge eating in terms of maybe eating alone or eating in because and hiding away or eating in amounts to the point where you feel guilty or sh ashamed about it is there is that is there a difference there how can you really tell the, the line for one like it's that sense that you are out of control that this isn't a choice you made you know compulsive eating and binge eating it feels like you're acting against your own will a lot of the time you're not enjoying it people are 
can feel a bit dissociated or feel like they're going into a bit of a trance. They're cut off from their bodies, so they don't even feel the discomfort of overeating until the food's gone because they're literally just, there's a separation that's happening. They're not experiencing their body. So it's a, it's a different beast. And I know a lot of people who struggle with binge eating get quite frustrated because when they try and talk to people about it, people go like, oh yeah, I know what that's like. I ate like two Easter eggs on Easter Sunday or something like that. And, and it's different because it feels different. It feels like it's not even you. And that I think is the really frightening part about binge eating. And I think that also is why some people, and I know I found this quite frustrating when people just be like, oh, well, like, why don't you just stop overeating? Like, why don't you just stop going to the fridge at night or wait, like you said, like waking up at the night and eating? Like, can't you just stop yourself? But it's almost like that dissociation that kind of like you're, you actually like remove yourself from your body. It's like you become a whole different person. Um, and it's not rash. It's almost like this it's not rational. Um, and this something just takes over, which also makes it so hard to stop. So how how can someone how can someone fight something that's completely irrational? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are for starters, people try and change their behaviour by trying to change their behaviour, and it doesn't work. They think they can just say to themselves, "Okay, well, tomorrow I'm just going to eat different. Tomorrow I'm just going to behave different." whatever it might be but our behaviors are much more ingrained than that and they're also driven by what we're thinking and what we're feeling so I always say you know binge eating is not a rational problem it's an emotional one so therefore we have to feel our way out and the first thing we have to address with binge eating is the role of restriction we have to look at that first because like it it's our neurochemistry and our biology that can hijack our thinking and cause us to behave in certain ways. We see it, you know, many uh, people who experience PMS will know what it's like to have like a personality change as a result of their body chemistry. Um, And so it's a little bit like that. So when you're looking at restriction, for me, I think I missed this part because for so long in my own recovery, because I wasn't really restricting. I was binging most days and I was never managing to restrict, so I couldn't see how restriction could be playing any role in this. But what was happening is that every time I binged, I swore it was going to be the last time. Every time I put my head on my pillow, I was making all these promises to myself about what I was and wasn't going to eat tomorrow. So I'm falling asleep every night with restrictive thoughts about food in my head. We know there's a whole mind-body connection. We can think about something and our body can react. We can think about something that makes us anxious and we can feel butterflies in our stomach and sweaty palms, even though it's not happening now. So I think the same can be with restriction. Like the brain or the body, wherever it's coming from, probably neurochemistry, I would have um, be more inclined to think. Once it suspects that restriction's on the way, it can ramp up those hunger hormones and ghrelin the hunger hormone its whole job is to make you think about food so when your ghrelin levels are high this is why people cannot restrict their food intake to any significant degree without becoming obsessed with food because ghrelin is going to make you think about it so i think there's a a lot of the time i think psychotherapists and counselors miss this part they miss the biological side of things 
And then there's a lot of these coaches that have come along now, these binge eating coaches, other people in the wellness field that are helping people break out of the diet binge mentality. They've got an excellent understanding of how this works, but perhaps they're missing some of the deeper stuff, which the therapists and counsellors, you know, their training is all about that. So I think that's the first thing to address. And the next thing is binge eating is all about going unconscious. Like we don't want to be here in this moment. We feel uncomfortable and that feels terrible. We have all these thoughts and feelings that we just don't want to have to sit with. We live in a world where we're constantly distracted and stimulated. And when that distraction and stimulation stops, now we want to eat. Now we want to go and get that food. We don't want to sit with nothingness. Nothingness is the worst for a black and white thinker. Because nothingness is like that boring grey in the middle, which almost feels like non-existence. So I tend to look at it sort of these really bigger questions about what are the things that you value. And so I see binge eating recovery not about stopping binge eating, but about creating a life that is then incompatible with binge eating. So many times we get ourselves in trouble trying to change behaviors by just trying to stop that thing rather than what is it we're doing instead. So I will say to people, what do you want your relationship with food to look like? And they'll say to me, well, I don't want to feel guilty about food and I don't want to feel out of control. And I go, okay, that's what you don't want. What do you want your relationship with food to look like? And they'll be like, well, I want it to be without stress. And I'll be like, no, 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 you're still telling me what you don't want. It's really hard to do because we are so clear on what we don't want. But if we're not binging, if we've not got this fraught relationship with food, we need to build a blueprint of what a balanced and healthy relationship with food looks like for us. So we, it's a creative process as opposed to we're losing something. I've got there's I've got so many questions I want to ask you from that there's so many there's so so many different um so you've got restriction and then you've also got this unconscious um concept and also the idea of looking at your I'm guessing your intention almost or the intention of what your relationship you want to build with food um so firstly looking at like the restriction part of it um is it almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because in when you restrict and i don't know if you found this when i know you said you don't really restrict that much but when you have those restrictive thoughts and then when you it's like you're setting yourself this expectation of what you have to be able to do like what you can and can't do it's kind of like almost moralizing eating like this is good this is bad and then when you don't actually live up to those expectations that feeling of shame and and or like you failed like you you've you have failed then makes you kind of go into this oh I failed now I'll just might as well just eat the bad food that I've already just eaten um and then you then feel guilt and then you restrict again and then it becomes this almost this cycle is that one of the harder things with binge eating that it kind of becomes cyclical because of that initial restriction 100% and people will set themselves these expectations where we're influenced by the diet culture by people on social media probably that it's possible to eat in this certain way what would look very orthorexic kind of this whole clean eating movement and so people will set themselves this expectation this is how I'm going to eat I'm going to eat brilliantly and perfectly tomorrow and then the minute they feel like they've messed up a bit that's where the all or nothing thinking comes crashing in and not everybody thinks like this. There are people out there who are not all or nothing thinkers. There are more of these sort of steady, consistent. They wouldn't catastrophize. 
you know, my brother's one who can be quite flexible with his diet. You know, he can follow a certain regime and then like he'll have an evening off or if he goes over, it doesn't matter because he just resets himself. There's no, no catastrophizing going on. Like, but <laughs> for someone, when this is something you're struggling with and when it's something you want so badly, it feels like the end of the world and it feels like you keep messing up and it just grinds and grinds away at your self-esteem. 100%. And, and so talking about diet culture this kind of idea of you some foods are good for you some foods are bad for you um how, what role does diet culture play in terms of binge eating because i think especially with social media nowadays um the more i talk to my friends the more i realize a lot of people do struggle with their relationship with food just because they have this idea of what they should and shouldn't look like or what foods they should or shouldn't eat um and I know in your book you touch you touch on rejecting diet culture. How, what what role does diet culture play in binge eating, and how can how can you actually even reject it when actually it's it's, it's everywhere we go. Even on the food labels of food, we have like light yogurt um, that we. I would, in my mind, if I have the option, if I'm trying to be good, um, with quotation marks, if I saw light yogurt versus full fat yogurt, I would go for the light yogurt we don't exist outside of our culture a lot of the values that you and i have maddie are a result of the culture that we've grown up in for better or for worse you know if we grew up in a culture where you know women were viewed very differently we might view ourselves very differently as well compared to how we might have been treated in our lives growing up as well so we are a part of our culture and our culture is a part of us there's no escaping that um Diet culture is so, like you say, it's just everywhere. And it does for a lot of people, it creeps in again. And I think the most sort of sneaky, pervasive one is this idea that we're all supposed to be eating in a bit of a deficit. A lot of people agree, like crash diets, they're not a good idea. But actually dieting and the diet culture normalizes this idea that we should all be trying to constantly improve our bodies and by improve mean changing how they look in one way or another whether it's fillers or whether it's losing weight it's all of this emphasis on appearance and it's so easy to buy into it yet when you really stop and think about the people in our lives who we really care about the most important people that make us feel good if you were to line those up in order of preference how much would what they look like actually feature into it so I feel like when we really stop and we look at this stuff, we can see how not true it is. But because it's been around for so long, it sneaks in and it hooks in and it does catch us. So in terms of like, how do we, <laughs> how do we overcome it? One is to become very aware of it. Two is to be really intentional about how we want to be with food and our bodies. You know, for me, um, and giving up diet culture for a lot of people is really scary because they want to lose weight. So the idea of giving up intentional weight loss, some people just won't even be there. It will just be not even going to contemplate this is something I want too much. And I think the only reason I got anywhere close to that, and I still have times where it might even try and sneak back in again. The only reason I got to that point was because it was just hurting too much to try. And because I found that for myself, so I know it to be true in my bones. I don't know it to be true just because someone told me. I know it to be true in my bones that every time I focus on weight loss, my eating goes haywire. 
like I struggle to regulate myself and I want to eat more. So it always has the opposite effect. So it's not giving up wanting to lose weight. It's kind of coming to this acceptance that I don't think for me it's ever going to be possible because each time I think, well, you know, I've been, I've been recovered enough to just make a few tweaks here and, you know, these kind of sneaky thoughts that come in. And each time I do, like, how did I fall for this again? <laughs> it's been 12 years. How did I fall for this again? Um, but it, it, it keeps me humble. <laughs> I'll say that much. <laughs> oh, but no, it's, you're so right. It is, it's almost, you can't remove yourself from your culture, but it's more about finding the tools of how to actually manage the kind of signals of what you can and cannot eat that kind of, like you said, black and white thinking. Um, and one part of your book that really hit home with me and I absolutely loved when you were talking about rejecting diet culture is the fact that when we we binge um, or when I restrict myself, for example, if I decide I'm going to go on a diet, it is mainly because I want to reach a certain weight. And I then I think to myself, why do I want to lose this weight? Like, is it because I need to or is it because in most cases it's because I think that I will be liked more I will be you know people will find will compliment me more because once you have that initial weight loss I don't know whether you found this when when you lose weight it's almost seen seen as like an accomplishment and you get praise and um and even when you're saying before like after you gain weight again you you're, you don't want to go out and see people because you're thinking oh my god they thought I was they were like so happy with how I was before and when I lost my weight what are they going to think of me now that I've put more put it back on or even more on um and you talk about um actually just being grateful for our body um because it's not about what like if you're you start off with keep on beating yourself up about what other people see your body as or the fact that you have like a bit of stomach fat that that's seen as like a you have less worth or you're less valuable as a person um you're going to continuously restrict and restrict and restrict until you fight, you get to that goal and you think you're going to be happy and all that's going to go away and, and any of your unhappiness that you have at the moment will just disappear because you've hit a number on the scale. Um, but actually, that's, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, so I was wondering if you could just in like, like talk a bit more about um, yeah, but, but body image and how you can actually find almost peace with how you are and acceptance that's the word acceptance of your body mm-hmm. well I love acceptance you know I, I, I bleat on about acceptance because we waste so much energy so much emotional and mental energy kind of resisting what's resisting reality basically and this is the whole argument I'm kind of making in the book that if we can accept reality and reality simply being whatever this moment is for you in terms of the objective reality and your experience of it, then that desire to, um, or that sense of dissatisfaction, like you're supposed to do something to change, kind of alleviates it because it's exactly that sense of dissatisfaction that you're, that feels so terrible is what's around when you actually binge. There's a sense of dissatisfaction of restlessness that comes before a binge. You're like, this feeling's horrible, I have to binge. And then it's that same feeling that's around, like around your body, which is telling you that you have to change it. Because if you change your body, you'll feel better. 
and yeah like in this world we are kind of or particularly in our society we're taught to revere weight loss as this incredibly uh, amazing accomplishment and a lot of the congratulations and stuff comes from this place of people wanting to be able to do what you've done um but people and i think we sort of forget that as well we forget that quite often when people say something is amazing it's because of what they're believing about themselves so like they believe for themselves that weight loss is amazing so when they see someone else doing it they want to tell you how amazing it is how it's experienced is oh my goodness this person thinks like really values me and this person somehow thinks i'm a better person and they don't <laughs> they really don't especially the people that know you um but with the acceptance stuff as well i think people fear acceptance because they think well if i accept my body if i accept the situation it means nothing will change and the fact is with acceptance is when you accept you change and uh, change always starts with you and also when you accept it's that resistance that conflict binge eating is a conflict it's like two parts of you at war with one another and acceptance is the only way to reduce that conflict because for as long as you're in a fight with one side of you wanting to be able to binge or eat whatever you want, another side of you wanting to lose weight, it doesn't matter which side wins because part of you has to lose. So it's never going to feel good doing it from that place. When actually we accept our bodies and we're able to feel more connected and appreciative of them, it's much easier to look after them. And ultimately, like, isn't that isn't that what we want? Okay, we might be about wanting to look a certain way, but at least part of you will want to to feel good in your body as well and to take care of it. I would thought, hope. Yeah, I totally. And I think also, it's it's almost like the I don't know about you, but like the placebo. I I've called it the placebo effect in terms of when I when you you lose that initial weight, um, and um you get these these compliments and you think oh i i feel so much more confident because i've lost this weight um and therefore that's why i maybe people are behaving differently around me or people are more drawn to me or yada 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 is because of the weight not because of the confidence that you've gained but actually what it might be is actually the fact that you're just more confident because confidence is attractive in itself um that's kind of the reason why you're you might be seeing you might think people are treating you differently when actually it's nothing to do with what you look like or your weight it's it's the confidence you've gained and so it doesn't matter what body you're in it's how you construct your own reality and how you construct your 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 opinion of yourself and then how that ref, like you can project that onto other people that's what makes a difference not your your weight Absolutely. I mean, we talk about this all the time, kind of in a from a therapy perspective, that so much of communication is unconscious. So there's this idea we people will treat us the way we expect them to, you know, and that's what we will see, and that will be communicated as well. So if you're someone with a high level of self worth, there are certain things you just wouldn't tolerate in a relationship. If you're someone with perhaps lower a lower sense of of confidence or, or self value or like you just don't feel like you're good enough you're more likely to end up putting up with 
things that you wouldn't otherwise and so two people will meet and they both seem to be like really happy in a good place yet somehow unconsciously people are paying playing out the same relationship patterns again and again and again and there's so much 100 percent. and if you're feeling more confident as well you're more likely to talk to people that you wouldn't you're more likely to do things and go places um where you might not have done before so then if you if you gain weight again and you stop doing those things you can use that as confirmation of like no one wants to talk to me and like i'm not as popular as i was when i was in a smaller body yes yeah a hundred percent and and moving on to um i mean that was talking about restriction but now moving on to that feeling of like dissociation when you are actually undergoing the binge um how can we reconnect how can someone reconnect with their body it's almost like our mind and body kind of detach themselves when we're doing a binge how is it important to re-establish that mind-body connection because in, in your sorry i'm referring to your book i'm, I'm just low-key absolutely obsessed with it um <laughs> um i know in your book you refer to it quite a bit and um and we mentioned quite a few times in this podcast that's feeling of dissociation when you're binging um so how can you reconnect with your body um, and why is that mind-body connection so important I think so, and that's the easiest place to start because, like you say, once you're in a binge, you're kind of in the full flow of it. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but probably extremely difficult to get back into your body in a binge. Not to say it can't be done, but something needs to mentally interrupt or maybe physically interrupt what's going on to be able to do that. So, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I like the, the gratitude work because this idea of trying to develop a different relationship with our body and I can't remember who said it, but they described it as the body is always eavesdropping on the mind. And also there's so much information out there about nutrition and about what we should or shouldn't be eating and how much we should be eating. Um, and our brains are just not up to the job of figuring out exactly how much to eat. But that's what we do. We try and use these thinking brains to figure out what this extremely complex body whose needs vary from day to day actually wants. So if we can become more reconnected with our bodies and start to listen so that we can pick up people who don't struggle with food or who hardly think about food at all, this is what's going on for them. They just get this sense, this just knowing of what they want. They'll look at a menu, they'll go in a cafe and they'll look at the options and they'll just see what they're drawn to. Whereas someone who struggles with food, there's going to be a whole conversation going off in their head about what they ate earlier, whether they should be eating bread, should they be eating that? What are other people going to think if they eat that? Blah, blah, how much have they eaten today? How many calories? Is it? All this non like nonsense, so I say nonsense, but chatter that goes on in our minds and then makes us feel confused and stressed so that we can't figure out what we actually want and what would actually satisfy us. So I think one of the uh, first place is to try and get in touch with the body is to ask keep asking the question keep getting curious what would satisfy me what foods do I find satisfying because satisfaction has a moderating effect and ultimately don't we want to feel satisfied it feels like a pretty good thing to aim for um, which is a little bit easier than trying to go oh am I hungry yet and what do I need you know there's more complicated layers to it but if we can find that sweet spot of satisfaction i think that would really help a lot of people mm. but it's i think it's it's so it's so much easier said than done because i like always yeah. <laughs> um because i think also a large part of it and, and when i especially when i was read, reading your book there was a little part of my the little voice my little controlling voice saying 
but if you if you stop restricting or if you stop um listening to me like my the mind of what you can or cannot do you're just going to binge all the time like you're gonna you're just gonna put on so much weight you're gonna just completely overeat because you're just gonna eat rubbish all the time um is that so what what can you say to people who have that fear of almost giving up control um in the sense that they think they're just going to go completely off the rails um how how can giving up control lead you to more moderated controlled lifestyle well because it's this, it's like a pendulum that swings one way so like the more you swing into control the more you sort of swing back out of control so letting go of control is always going to be a leap of faith and people are like well i only want to let go of control if i'm guaranteed that this is how it's going to play out but that's that's still another attempt to control so like the letting go of control i think normally only people only get to that point when they're in so much pain because that's what it takes mm-hmm. sometimes to give up control and and it's not this is not a particularly uplifting thing to say but i think it's one of the reasons <laughs> why i often work with people who've been struggling this with this for decades i mean you've got quite a young audience and i would say almost never do i get inquiries from people under 30 years old really one or two but very rarely people have been struggling with this for a long time because they're still trying to find a way to control it to diet their way out of it so i think sometimes we're just not ready to give up control until it's really beaten us down mm. sorry <laughs> <laughs> but like you said it's the fact that they've been battling with it for so long um surely the more ingrained those thoughts become the longer it lasts the longer these kind of binging cycles last the more it almost becomes habit so how i mean i know we're only, we've only got like 10 minutes left with you so i've got, I've got so much more i want to ask um but i do want to move on to the relic technique that you, you use um and so how how can people start to allow themselves to let go of control and also um kind of re reconstruct their beliefs because it's um, like you said if it's going on for such a long period of time those are deep rooted beliefs that the only way um i'm going to be able to manage to stay in control is by restricting myself or following a diet um so how can someone reconstruct those ideas of what's right and wrong i think it comes from being radically honest with ourselves and actually does trying to control give you what you want because the whole argument is is that it's in the trying to control it's that very thing that leads you to feeling so out of control it's what creates it it's what creates the binges because there's this desperate attempt to control and ignore whatever it is the body's trying to say to us so it could be that you know for some people when they give up control there is a period of being out of control for a bit and that does happen. But if you go from out of control, if you're in the out of control and you, rather than trying to ram the control back in, you practice the acceptance, and you set some intentions from that place back to balance, you're not going to swing back up to the in control. But sometimes when you've been in control and you've got to let go, you've got to swing back the other way first. That's the scary bit. That's why it's not for the faint hearted. And I think one of the reasons why people take a longer time to get to it is because they realize that what they're doing is perpetuating it. They realize, mm-hmm. and no one can tell you 
oh, trying to control is what makes you binge. Because part of you will go, yeah, 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 I can rationally see that. But until you learn it at the cellular level, till every cell in your body is finally convinced that that's true, that's when we're more likely to be willing to try and do something different. So it's almost so it's the acceptance that it it's not going to be a comfortable journey. It's going to be scary, but it's it's not. And, and in times of like fear, in times of scare, like when you when you feel anxious, you feel like you're losing control of things. It's so easy to then quickly find a safe space and the safe space that you know is restriction or feeling some finding some sort of order in your life um and that most of the time is through eating um and i just want to say when you truly let go and surrender and accept that's where peace is yeah you know so it got to the point where i wanted peace beyond my body looking a certain way, beyond my eating looking a certain way. I just wanted peace. I wanted a quiet mind. I was fed up of the fight and the conflict. It was exhausting and stopping me from living. It really yeah. it took over everything. It's freedom. Not, imagine if the amount of times you would think about food or think about what you've eaten or like that different rules going around in your head. Think about how much time you'd probably be able to think about other things and enjoy other things and just not have to be in your head so much and just live not like obsessive with food because mm -hmm. it's I can imagine it must be liberating um I just really wanted to ask you quickly um in terms of the RALIC technique that you you promote in your book um RALIC stands for recognition if I'm right mm -hmm. acceptance lean in and choice mm -hmm. um and Choice has been a huge thing throughout this podcast, being able to choose choose to, well, choose to many things, choose to whether to listen to diet culture, choose whether or not you want to listen to the voice telling you to binge, choose um, what you want to eat um, because of your, what your body's telling you rather than what anything else externally is telling you. So I was wondering if you could let the listeners know roughly what, what RALIC is about um, and how you came up with it. Mm -hmm. Sure. So well, the thing is with, with the RALIC method is people will hear something like this and they'll go, great, it's a tool to stop binging. <laughs> it's not a tool to stop binging. <laughs> it's a tool to make a non-compulsive choice. So it's a tool to make a free choice. So if you think to yourself, right, I've got to sit down and do the RALIC method so that I don't binge, that is not giving yourself choice. And the part of you that wants to binge is not going to let you do that. So this is where the letting go of control almost comes before that. So the recognition part of RALIC is, this is the bit where you recognize reality. So there's three aspects to reality. There's the objective circumstances, whatever's going on around you, the event. There is the feelings that you are experiencing and the thoughts you are having. So um, if we took... Um, after a binge, for example, the objective experience could be I am lying on my bed um, and I have just eaten. So it wouldn't be so I get people to do it as recognition statements. So the recognition statements would be like, I recognize I am lying on my bed. And then it would be as part of the event, it would be I recognize. Now, it wouldn't be I recognize I've binged because binge is a subjective term. 
So it would be, I recognize I have eaten and then list the actual things you've eaten. Because what it is, what you want to identify here is the facts of the circumstance where if a hundred people could see you there right now, they would all agree that that is exactly what's happened, exactly what's happening. And notice with the recognition statements, you're saying, I recognize I am. There's two eyes in that statement. So the whole purpose of the technique is to wake the observer. You've got the recognizer, who's the I recognize, and then you've got the I am, who is the I who's having the experience. This is what they do in things like mindfulness. It's the capacity to watch our minds without completely identifying with what's going on. We just need to create a little bit of a gap. This is not a complete sense of dissociation, um, but neither is it, this is who I am. I, this is just an experience I'm having. So you would do that. And I normally get people to write these down or to say them out loud. And the next you would check in with how you're feeling. So you'd say, I recognize again, I recognize I am feeling disgusted. That might be one. I recognize I am feeling um, like a failure. Uh, I recognize I am feeling hopeless. And actually, I'm going to take like a failure out because that's more of a belief. So let's just say I recognize I'm feeling disgusted. I recognize I'm feeling hopeless. So you identify the thoughts. Then you move on to what you're thinking. So it'd be like, I recognize I am thinking, or I'm believing, sorry, we're looking at your beliefs. I recognize I am believing I screwed up. Or I recognize I am believing I'm never going to be able to change. I recognize I'm telling myself I should make up for it tomorrow. So that, that's the recognition stage where you go through the circumstances, what you're feeling, your beliefs, and you identify it. You're taking like a snapshot of reality because this is your reality in the moment because it's your experience of reality. So then you move on to the A, so the acceptance. We've talked a little bit about this today. The acceptance is just that willingness to um, cognitively accept the here and now. It's not accepting the future. Now, the only reason why you would accept the here and now is because it's already happening. So this is all the stuff that's currently outside of your control because you're already experiencing all these things. We're going to get to choice where you can take some control, but first you have to let go of control before you can take it again. It's kind of a paradox there. So then I get people to go through their um, recognition statements and find reasons to accept them. So the first one might be like, I recognize I'm lying on my bed. Can I accept that? Yes, I can accept that because that's an easy one. I'm lying on my bed. I do that a lot. I'm all right with that. The next one might be a bit harder. I recognize I have eaten and all the things you ate in your binge. Can you accept that? And the only reason you're accepting that is because it's beyond your control, because it's the reality. And to not accept it is to get into a fight with something that's it's not your responsibility anymore. Like only this moment and going forward, can you take, you can't take responsibility for something that's completely gone. Um, so it's that willingness to accept it. And also by accepting it, you might find some sense of, of peace and calmness compared to fighting it. So there's all these good reasons why um, just in that moment, accepting that what you've eaten is just no longer um, your responsibility anymore. And then you would move on to the feelings. So I accept can you accept that you are feeling disgusted? The feelings can be harder ones sometimes, but sometimes I'll go with like, um, yes, I can accept what I'm feeling because I know that if I accept it, it's, it's, it's more likely to pass quicker than if I resist it. 
So that's a good reason, I think, to accept feelings. Um, so you would go through that and go on to the next feeling, which was hopeless. Um, sometimes another reason for accepting a feeling is because no feelings stay the same. They pass, so you can accept this as an experience. So, and then the next stage is the lean in, which is you've engaged your willingness to accept the snapshot of this moment. And the lean in is just to experience it. So this is only a couple of minutes where you just sit and you just, it's more than just allowing the feeling or allowing the discomfort. It's like pushing towards it, pushing into it, which is why I call it leaning in. Sometimes in like CBT, they talk about like allowing feelings to kind of crash over you. But I think there's something really empowering about accepting something and moving towards it. And quite often when you do, it starts to shift shape and change a bit. And it also means that once you are willing to experience this moment, that strong urge to go unconscious mm. usually dissipates. Then by this point is that they're already um, starting to feel shifted in their experience. And then that takes you to the sea where you make a choice. So that compulsion diminishes because you've been willing to accept the here and now. Compulsion often comes from this unwillingness to accept what's going on in the here and now. So the choice could be anything from, you know, I'm just going to plan some food that I'll really enjoy tomorrow, or I'm going to do like a body scan meditation or whatever it is you feel like you want to do. Sometimes it's not even doing anything. It's just about choosing a certain attitude towards something. But that's, that's the only bit, the only time we can here and now we can't take responsibility for the past because it's gone and we can't take responsibility for what we're going to do in the future yet because there's too many variables that accepting accepting that if it is like don't have you don't have to feel the shame after the, the binge if you if, if you accept that you've you've done it you you accept your past actions and if you take away that feeling of guilt or shame um and just kind of the reflection like you said the recognition acceptance the leaning into that and then choosing how to then react to what you've just done but also being willing sorry to interrupt but also being willing to experience the shame and the guilt because we think we're supposed to rationalize those emotions away and sometimes we can't because we're not rational beings so I didn't choose those emotions but those are definitely ones that would be around after a binge for a lot of people so if we're willing to lean into those feelings and just accept they are an experience they tend to move into something else pretty fast it's when we resist emotions that they they stick around and they get stronger yeah yeah what if someone is trying to do valic and is really struggling actually to either before a binge or after a binge use it because they of that unconsciousness they don't have time to kind of really focus on the they don't have even time to recognize the feelings that are happening or they they are so desperate they're so, they, they're so determined that they know they, they're going to have a binge it's almost like it's indefinite that they're going to binge that they don't see the point in doing the valet but it, how what would you recommend to people who are really struggling to use it well, I normally suggest that people get familiar with the method in other areas of their life. So I use this all the time for everything. Like if I have a, a disagreement with someone or, you know, the back pain that I mentioned before we started recording, I've relicked that. Um, almost anything in your life that feels uncomfortable, 
use the method there first because it's much harder to do something brand new in a moment of compulsion. Whereas if you got familiar with doing this and accepting the moment in other areas of your life when perhaps there's a bit less resistance than with food, it will then become easier and more natural to apply it to food as well. I've got so many new th- other things I would love to have talked to you about this this podcast, but I, I know we're running out of time. So I just wanted to finish with um, this question. And it is, if you were to look back at yourself when you're 25 um, or 26 or the last decade, um, when you were struggling with binge eating what would be a piece of advice that you give your would have given yourself I think for me and I think this is very specific for me what I needed to realize that took me much longer than I would have liked it to was how um, sneaky um, restrictive thinking can be and how much it can contribute to that urge to binge um, and also all the stuff I think I talked about acceptance. I don't know if I would have been capable of it when I first started doing this, but um, those are the things I suppose I'd want to say. And I'd probably want to go back and say, do you know what, it's okay. I don't know if there's any advice I could have been given back then which would have changed the timeline of events. I think I learned the things that I needed to learn at that time. So I suppose for anybody who this might be really resonating with, I think you're probably just finding the information at the right time for you. Mm. So a bit cliched, but it gets better. (laughs) (laughs) And it's okay that actually sometimes you can look back on something that seems so awful and be glad it happened because I am glad it happened. I'm glad I went through it and um, I wouldn't be sitting here doing what I do today. Mm. Makes you who you are. There's no point regretting anything you do because it's all part it becomes all part of you and makes you who you are today yeah couldn't agree more well sarah thank you so much for joining me today it's been so insightful and um hopefully we'll be able to get you back on soon or i'll probably be in contact with you um pinging on loads of questions that i would have loved to ask you otherwise um but thank you so so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure no worries at all thanks for inviting me maddie all right